Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker and you're listening to another episode of the ZappaCast, which is actually the official Frank Zappa podcast and which is actually a continuation of the last episode because we did this all in one day, but because we're trying not to give you a two hour podcast, we we've decided to give you a second episode where we're celebrating the 50th anniversary box set of Overnight Sensation. And with me, as always, is from Bill's Box of Sound, the man with the back cover of Weasel's Whip My Flesh on his wall, Mr. <laughs> Bill Camerata. Hiya, friends. How you doing? <laughs> of course. Uh, the, the maestro himself, the man who hears rhythm in his head, but apparently does not hear melody <laughs> to write songs with. He is the rhythm. The, he is the rhythm. Yeah, the funk master himself, the vaultmeister, Sir Joseph William Travers, ladies and gentlemen. Hila, Erie, Pennsylvania. Woo! <laughs> Bill, roll the timpani. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the continuation of the return of the son of the deep dish episodes for all overnight. Sensation! Sensation! So, going back to the album, yes. we have the <laughs> 1973 mix of Redunzel. Which was remixed for Lost Episodes. Yes. So now we've got now we've got the authentic 1973 mix. Sounds beautiful. Yes, it does. Shout out to Ruth. I know, man. Definitely. Queen herself. Yes. Um, just, uh, I, you know, it would have fit beautifully on the album, but I can see, I suppose, leaving it off. But it, but it's funny because apart from, well, I mean, he was going to put it on leather and then it wound up on um, Sleep Dirt, I think. That was not on Sleep Dirt. On Studio Tan? What's um, what is it on? Studio Tan. Studio Tan, that was it. But that's the Caribou version, not the. Not that's the true. Original. That's the later record. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but it's uh, yeah, it sounds uh, sounds phenomenal, of course. And then you've got the uh, Dolby EQ copy of for the Young Sophisticate, which I forgot, managed to forget that that was recorded for Overnight Sensation. Yes. <laughs> so here's the brief history of that. So there is a master tape mix mm -hmm. a master mix of for the young sophisticate and i transferred it and then i found a dolby eq copy that was made in the late 70s and i transferred that and i put them both together in a session and a bead between them to fear to, to hear what the difference was they were the same mix but i can see why frank brought the master into i think it was the village and applied noise reduction and equalization and ran off a new master because what he did sounded better than the original 1973 master mix. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you've got a 73 master mix, a late seventies treated new master. And it just so happens that that Dolby EQ copy that treated new master that he did, which I'm glad he did because it sounds way better is the same exact version that was used in leather. Okay. Wow. So, see? so I just, you know, decided I wanted to use the better sounding version yep. and I just called it 
what it said right on the spine of the tape. You know, I'm a purist at times. So yeah, it is a Dolby EQ copy and it is listed in the liner notes as being uh, previously released on leather. But yeah, I mean, it's great to have that all in the same place. And even though that's one track on the box set that has been, uh, you know, kind of like already been issued on other things, <laughs> yeah. it's still nice. It's still nice to have all those things together in one spot. Oh, sure. It's all part of the session. So but it has to be there, I would think. We have the single versions of I'm the Slime in Montana. Now, those were issued as a single not all that long ago, which also sounds phenomenal. Great to have them here because I really, really, really love Frank Solo on I'm the Slime on this yeah. version. It's, to me, like, I might prefer it to the album, but it's just, uh, it's it's edgier. So. Yep. Yeah. Completely different mix, completely different solo. Yeah. So it's great when single versions are different than the album versions. It's just it's always always fun to have a different take on a on on a song. And um, one thing about the Montana single version is, and so you should know this, is that um, all it really is, it's the B-side, and all that really is is the album mix and the album version, but with the middle, the guitar solo removed. Mm-hmm. But but what I did is I added the intro, the unreleased intro from yeah. the sessions that was mixed by Frank, by the way, that he took away for the song that ended up being released. I put it back in so that it could be for the box set, it could be something different for that mm-hmm. version. So so the Montana B-side edit is the exact same thing that was released on the 7-inch back, all yep. those years back, but it has that little intro kind of tacked on there. So, yeah. What the hell? No, but that, that, that intro, like, when I first heard it, I was like, what is this? And then I realized. Yeah, that's why I put it on there. It's so nuggets, cool. You know, we have reached Inca Rhodes Bollock take home mix. Oh, yeah. So these take home mixes mm. were done on the fly at Bollock when the stuff was recorded. They literally just like recorded the stuff and, and then probably uh, either the same day or maybe a couple days after Frank just ran off some some reference mixes. But what's really great about these Bollock take-home mixes is that you're hearing things in these mixes that are no longer in the 16-track multi-tracks. Because, yeah, they were wiped or recorded over with the stuff that you do hear. For instance, the Tina Turner vocals. You know, yes. and the Iketz vocals, they wiped the original background vocal takes from the other people that sang it and and added those. And then Frank's delivery, like I know I'm jumping ahead, but on Dynamo Hum, there's sure. a whole different rap in there. Yes. Oh, yeah. About kiss my boot, you know, and, and the Virginia Slims quote and all that shit that was never saved. So, right. so, so the fact that these Bollock take home mixes have these things in it, we would never hear them otherwise. That's amazing. Yeah, because... that take-home mix of uh, Dynamo Hum is about two minutes longer than yeah. the end result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that rap, by the way. That's yeah, me just, too. I loved it too. So, it's so funny. It's kind of like, um, it reminds me of um, his kind of uh, 
rap on uh, I'm a Rolling Stone, where, <laughs> you know, it's kind of along those lines. He didn't do a lot of that, so I'd love to hear it. And I, again, it's one of the many surprises on this uh, box, which um, is the box sold out? It's not sold out, is it? Well, it was at first. I believe that they made more now and it's and it's available, but it did sell out on first like launch. Yeah. 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 That's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, it is impressive. When you're dealing with these iconic records, they're going to perform differently than, say, Zappa 75. Sure. The Yugoslavian concerts, you know, like mm-hmm. that's a niche item. It's 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 a cool thing and, and it's great. But you can't compare the sales of something like Zappa 88 or Zappa 75 or Zappa 80, any mm-hmm. of those live things, to this. This is just another world right here. Celebrating, yeah. celebrating one of these records that has just basically put Frank Zappa on the map. Yeah, super iconic. So, yeah, history of a very famous record. It is a famous record. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so it does make sense that this thing is is doing well, and I'm super happy about it. Yeah, I mean, it does, you know, with every release, I mean, you know, going back to, like, the Hot Rat Sessions, with every release, you the bar gets that little bit higher. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, like, because you really are talking about, I mean, there are relatively few albums that um, are just going to be complete surprises. Like, say, Funky Nothingness was a total surprise. And the interesting thing about Overnight Sensation was that a lot of the work on the songs was done on the road. I mean, the band, by the time they went into the studio, right, they would have known they had experience, you know, playing this material for a while. Yeah, that is that is one thing about the material that was recorded in March and then later on, I think in May, is mm-hmm. that the band already knew the stuff, I think. Maybe some of it was brand new, but most of it was stuff that they did know already. So when they went into the studio, it wasn't like they were sight reading or learning things right on the spot. And mm-hmm. so I think that you can hear that in the performances. Yes. And because of that, it has a much more like band cohesive feel to that record. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be one of the reasons why the record is such a successful one is because there is that kind of, uh, how shall we say, there's a um, cohesiveness to it, yes. like, a ba- like a band feel and a feel like, yes, all of this stuff was recorded at one time instead of it being spread out like, you know, like apostrophe. It's a compilation of stuff sure. between right. years. This is they were more comfortable with the material so they could play it easier and work with each other easier. Therefore, not spending so much time having a million takes to get it right in the studio. Things were flowing with this band. They were flowing, which is why there's not that many alternate takes. And I will also say that what I was noticing with these sessions is that uh, Frank would have the multi-track tape rolling all mm-hmm. the time so he was recording the rehearsals so they were like rehearsing the stuff and doing you know doing like early takes and yeah. then as soon as they would get it close and they were ready to actually do a take the engineer would stop the tape rewind to the top of the of it of the reel and record over all of the rehearsals and oh. all of the stuff that didn't matter. So what happens is, is that when you start the tape and you get the master takes with all the overdubs and everything, and then what happens is, is that once all those things happen, 
and then there's still some tape left on the reel that didn't get recorded over. That's yeah. where you hear some of the things that are on the box set, like the in-session versions or the rehearsal versions of uh, Dynamo with the Ponty solo. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's just because it didn't get wiped. That's crazy. Wow. Is there a lot of that material? No. No, very little. Yep. Oh, my God. See? Just trying to untangle these things is really a big part of what you do. We have uh, take two of Redunzel, which yep. is another spectacular. I don't know how many takes they wound up doing. Not but, that many. Uh, no, not that many. No, and especially full takes. Like yeah. this is this is literally the only other full take of Redunzel there, and I was really happy to find it because it's great to hear that band do that song which was pretty much together already. Perfect yeah. example of what we were just talking about. And mm-hmm. for them, to, for us to hear a completely alternate take from that band, yeah. from that session, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I absolutely love that, that version. It's live in the studio. I mean, pretty much. And we also get to hear the wondrous wah-wah trombone yeah. from Bruce Feller. <sighs> yes. Bruce. Bruce, yeah, shout out to Bruce. Bruce is... Shout out. Uh, Shout out to Mr. Fowler. That's it. Um, one of the big surprises on this album for me was um, the early version of Echidna Zarf. So known as X Forts or Eccentrifical Fort as uh, Frank. I think he he referred to it in concert as Eccentrifical Forts early yeah. on. Yeah. Echidna's, yeah. Arf, Echidna's Arf's original title was X Forts or Eccentrifical Forts. And then X-Forts turned into a medley, which was Echidna's Arf and Don't You Ever Watch That Thing. That whole thing was being referred to as X-Forts. And then, of course, yeah. it uh, it kind of morphed into two different tunes. And there you go. Yeah. Although, although Don't You Ever Watch That Thing, you know, that might be not true. That I don't think that X-Forts was the name of that entire medley. I think it was X-Forts was... Always Echidna's Arf first, mm-hmm. and then they tacked on Don't You Ever Watch That Thing, and it became a medley. So that's what happened there. I'm being super anal right now about how the how these songs happened. But but then what happened is is that X-Forts got retitled to Echidna's mm-hmm. Arf of You, and Eccentrifical Forts ended up becoming the song that's on Apostrophe. Yeah. That's so there you have it. Just, yep. That's <laughs> just, it's, it's wild the way that that, I mean, I always think that Echidna's Arf probably got its title after Frank went to Australia because it's the Echidna true. Is, yeah, it's true. Yeah. So a- after that, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Same with Florentine Pogan. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't think I ever knew that story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all connected to, to, to Jen Jewel Brown in Australia. Yes. The famous writer and beautiful person and woman. Love you. Yes. Love you, Jen. <laughs> Have you talked to her? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, she's great. Oh, yep. that's awesome. She should write a book. But anyway. <laughs> Getting back to X-Forts and uh, that particular track, aside from George using the ring modulation on uh, his electric piano, yeah. one yep. thing I have a question about is Frank's solo near the end of this. It sounds like he's playing the bazooki. It does sound like that, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that was recorded at Paramount because that was also where Canard du Jour 
on the return of the son of shut up and play your guitar the duet was jean luc right mm -hmm. well i'm glad you brought that up nothing was recorded at paramount it, everything was mixed at paramount for oh. this record but bollock and whitney were the two recording studios that were utilized in the creation of overnight sensation but so that guitar you also hear that guitar whatever that guitar is whether it's a bazooki or an electric 12 string mm -hmm. or whatever it might be a uh, fretless you know there was there was three different things that i thought it could have been and yes it makes sense that it could be the bazooki because frank was recording the bazooki in those sessions in 1972 with Ponty and John Guerin mm -hmm. uh, on drums. And so, yes, he probably had access to the bazooki still by March of 73. And But again, I could not tell you exactly what that instrument is because it sounds like it could be, like I said, at least three different things. You're right. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't want to be the voice of God and say... This is Frank on the bazooki because I can't prove that it was the bazooki because it could be, like I said, it could have been a 12 string. It could have been a fretless, you know, who knows? Mm -hmm. So, um, but you can hear that guitar being used on multiple tracks on this box set, which is really cool. Yeah. So yeah, X-Force is one. And then I think the, uh, there's another one, maybe the quad guitar possibly mm. on Dirty, Dirty Love might've been another one. I can't remember, but anyway, but yes, it is a cool sound. You could tell that they were just experimenting. That was never meant to be released, but you get to hear it now. Yes. <laughs> it is a very cool sound. I have to say that's one of the highlights for me of the entire box is that. Yeah. Track. Yeah. That Good. was a, a genuine surprise when I, when I heard that I was like, you know, yeah. you know cause I, I mean, really nothing should surprise anybody. Because, I mean, because he was doing this kind of stuff all the time, you know, throwing curveballs at you. Know, even from the afterlife, Frank is still throwing curveballs at <laughs> Yeah, so that's, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so we uh, to open disc two, we have uh, the alternate mix of Camarillo Brillo. Another yeah. very, very cool find. Yeah, again, featuring uh, vocal tracks that did mm -hmm. not get saved. Yeah, it's it's really um, so you don't have those on the um, on the multi track. So that's right. That stuff those, was wiped. That stuff was wiped, and it's really interesting to hear Frank harmonizing with himself. That when do you ever really get to hear that? Never. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool. She had that Camarillo Brillo, flaming out long ahead. Very, very cool. One of the tracks that was released as a uh, a single, I guess we call them singles now. They're more like uh, trailers. I mean, it's not single in the classic sense, but face down the demo version of I'm the Slime, which seems odd to me because it was very obviously I'm the Slime, but <laughs> yep, but it was Frank originally was... called face down. Well, you know, he was just always applying temporary titles to things and that yeah. was the that's the earliest appearance of that song on a tape mm -hmm. and and it wasn't even fully realized that song it was you know the, the riff is there the the vocals are there the pacing is a little ponderous yeah 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 <laughs> and you know the thing the thing that's great about that uh version is it's so funky and we have no idea who's playing on it we just don't yeah that's right huh no we have no idea there is a rhythm guitar player on there which could be Tony Duran, if you think yep. about the timing of when Tony was playing with him. But man, that's some funky shit. 
That's all I can oh, tell yeah, you. Oh, yeah, no. It's funky. And I th- then, yeah, it's, it is it is nicely paced, I will say. Yeah, you know, it's and slower, the drums, but... that drum set that that person is using, that is definitely not Ralph, and it's definitely not Jim Gordon, and those are the two people that were in the orbit at that time. So, I mean, I it sounds to me like Buddy Miles, but I don't think it is. Oh. Because if you listen to wow. the sound of Buddy Miles' kit on Band of Gypsies, and also on like some of the other stuff that he was doing at that time, maybe the electric flag or whatever. If you listen to that kit, it's the same sound as the kit that's on that face down thing. So I have, <laughs> I, for some reason, I just think it's Buddy Miles, but I don't think it is. I don't, if Buddy Miles would have ever recorded with Frank Zappa, somehow that would have gotten out in an interview at some point. I'm you sure would he would have been like, oh, I did a session with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what happened. So it's yeah. definitely not him, but it sure does sound like him because first of all, it's funky drums. Mm-hmm. And second of all, it's really high tuned, single headed toms, like a, a little high, little high tuned five piece kit. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. So I got, yeah, that firecracker snare drum. Yeah. And the tom toms are, you know, kind of on the smaller side, but cranked and definitely single headed. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I wish that. Well, I mean, obviously, Buddy's not around to ask, but uh, yeah, there's no dialogue on the tape, huh? So nothing that would give you any clue. Nope. Fascinating. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, takes. They did a lot of takes on that tape, mm-hmm. but there's but but you can't hear anybody talking because it's not it, it didn't go to tape. There was people talking, but yeah. you, you couldn't hear it, it didn't go to tape. Like it, it wasn't like an intercom or a microphone or anything like that. It was just sure. ambience. ambient stuff and that was how i was able to tell that the frank's guitar playing and his vocals were in real time in other words he didn't overdub any of that stuff no all live it's all live where where was it recorded we don't know that paramount it was done at paramount okay Mm -hmm. so it's really interesting so he must have had a lineup that he just used for that one session yeah and it was right it. it was after the Petit Wazoo tour ended, <laughs> which was in December of 72. Yeah. Tony Duran makes sense on the on the rhythm guitar because he, you know, did work extensively with Frank that year. But but then again, you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? We will never know. I do know that Kerry McNabb recorded it. I wonder. He's yeah. around. He's around. Yeah, he's he would, around. So but he would never remember. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, we have the uh, I'm the slime basic track outtake, which is fun. Another, you know, like killer. It's amazing, like how easily these things were put onto tape. You know what I mean? Like the, we were talking about before how rehearsed the band was playing this stuff extensively on the road. And, you know, when you get these little like live in the studio nuggets like this, it's just very, very cool to, uh, to hear how cemented you know and strapped in those arrangements are you know, i love point. it yep not a lot of not a lot of evolution in the studio like he just went in and time is money baby and we're just gonna get these things down yep. roll the tape <laughs> roll exactly. the tape yep um we got uh dirty love session rehearsal another fun little nugget is there a lot of session rehearsal stuff no they were all recorded over those that's those what are I'm the things you were talking those, about yeah so it's like if it's there that's, that's what's like, there that's really it yeah Wow. I like that track because it's like you're a fly on the wall at the studio. Yeah, me too. Yes. 
And see, that's that's what's amazing about an album like this. This is a loved album. This is an album that has been around for 50 years. People love mm-hmm. this record. So for people to actually get to hear fly on the wall type stuff from the sessions, who would ever thought that they would ever hear it? Yeah, and here we are getting a chance to hear it. I mean, you know, listen, it's such a, a worthwhile project to do anyway. But, you know, when you can come up with and and like we said before, there's not a lot of what you would call session material or outtakes or any or a lot of stuff like that. But, you know, what's here is just freaking gold. And, you know, we talked about um, Dirty Love with the quad guitar earlier. But now we get to um, what must be for me like the most mind blowing thing on the album, which is the uh, pipe organ intro improvisations to uh, 5050. I love this track. I do too. Oh, that was so good. George is a genius. (laughs) Yeah, and it's great because uh, this stuff was saved. It wasn't recorded over. So it's really great to hear Frank using hand signals and directing the band and coming up with like an instant intro to this tune, yeah. literally, you know, just having fun with the band. And you can hear Ruth laughing and Sal's on yeah. microphone and and all that stuff. And yeah, it's it's pretty great. That pipe organ. And George getting down on the oh, pipe yeah. organ. Yeah, the yeah. pipe organ. The pipe organ has made it onto so many records in Frank's catalog. And uh, Bill, mm-hmm. you were talking about the pipe organ uh, in the past on some of your uh, episodes oh, yeah. where you were wa- always wondering where that little clicky b- bell sound came yep. from on those records. Mm-hmm. And that is a setting on the actual Whitney pipe organ. You yep. can dial that, that bell sound in or out. They have rhythm yeah. stops. They have bell stops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, so the albums that that pipe organ is famous on is hot rats, burnt weenie sandwich, Fillmore, uh, 200 Motels and Chunga's Revenge. Is there some on Chunga's Revenge? Yes, uh, it's, it's on. Um, Tell me you love me. Tell yes. me you love me. It's on. Yes. yes. And then it's also, um, you know, I think, I think that Overnight Sensation is the last album that the pipe organ is uh, featured on, basically. Uh, yeah. because, because Whitney, Frank stopped going to Whitney and started going to Paramount all the time. So, mm-hmm. and then the record plant. So yeah, so the the pipe organ has made made it into <laughs> so many records of the catalog. I just it, you know like that was one of the first things that I you know had to dig into you know just because it was like what the hell is this and then you know it's just this cool little thing. Yeah. Um, you've got of course take seven of fifty fifty the basic tracks, another killer performance. So glad that that didn't get wiped. Yep. And uh, then we talked before about session rehearsals. In this case, uh, we have Dynamo Hum, which is relatively short, but is very cool. That's all there is of that. Yeah, so, exactly. That's it. That, and that's why it fades in, because it's one of those things where the master take of something ended, and then all of a sudden, bam, you get hit with whatever's yeah. left on the reel, and that was what was left on the reel, so... Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. That's so freaking cool. Um, So we talked before about the take home mix of from Bollock of Dynamo Hum. 
Yes. Which is, again, that's pretty freaking epic. First song that all of us have heard about 90,000 times in our life. To have something that is so new and refreshing. You know, that song, that song, uh, obviously was uh, unbelievably popular people were screaming for it at concerts for mm-hmm. so many for so long that song really people really loved it when it first came out um yeah but the but when you listen to the studio version mm-hmm. man is it funky it is yeah you know the band was funky yeah. and that and that that funky stuff didn't last in the other bands like you know it kind of got kind of got standardized and kind of everybody had a different approach. Different musicians had a different approach. The 77 band rocked it, completely rocked it really fast. The 76 band uh, was messing around with it and turned it into the, you know, the halftime thing at the end of it and all that stuff. And, uh, and then the country version with, uh, with Bianca, you know, the the hee-haw version. Yeah. But uh, but it, yeah, so you know he was having fun with that song. But the original concept from mm-hmm. these sessions is funky. Oh, it's it fun. is. It's so fun. That Ralph got that groove going. Like that's groove for days. And George, George. Yeah. Is oh just... yeah, you. I think that's the key because you can't not be. You can't have George in the band and not be funky. I know. Like you're you're just going. Yeah. He's going to bring the funk every time. So definitely, it's like... definitely. Play that clarinet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For real. Um, and then, of course, to wind out the uh, to wind up the outtakes and additional material portion, we have um, the Bollock Take Home Mix of Montana. Yes, another very fun little thing to have. Definitely. And then um, we get into the live material. Now we said before, you said before, Joseph, that um, the Hollywood Palladium—that's all there is, right? Yeah. Sadly. Uh, but the the first reel of tape wasn't kept, and God knows what happened to it or why. But we do know what was played thanks to I think it was Leonard Feather's review. I think it's Leonard oh, really? Feather. Uh, yeah. So because he he in his review he talks about the songs that were played, and so we know that the second reel of tape starts immediately with Montana. So the first reel of tape would have been exercise. Four, Uncle Meat, Dog Breath, 50-50, and probably a long beginning, like a long intro, you know, where they mm-hmm. do the sound check and all that stuff. So that would have been the first reel-ish. And then what I think happened was on the very last reel of tape, Barry Keane wrote on the back of it, it says reel four of, and then it's it doesn't say, Oh, it really? doesn't say it doesn't say real four of six. It doesn't say yeah. real four of, of four. It doesn't say anything. It just says real four of. And what I think is uh, either the whatever happened after the Ricky Lancelotti jam on real four mm-hmm. ran out like the, the real ran out. If another p- tape was put on and captured the Ray Collins guest spot and all and the end of the concert oh, yeah. and all that stuff, then it wasn't saved. But what I think is, what I think is, is that Barry Keane ran out of tape. I think the show went longer than expected and there was only four reels of tape there. And oh. he just, he just, he just didn't have enough tape to capture the end, sadly. That makes sense. I think yeah. they under, they underestimated how long the show was going to be. Interesting. So 
Um, do we know what Ray sang? Is that in that review? No. Wow. I yeah, that's it's a tragedy that we don't have that because that would be the last time they were ever on stage together. Mm-hmm. So I know. Uh, I know. That's okay though, because what's here is killer. I mean, you've got the uh, <laughs> the successor to Willie the Pimp, yeah, <laughs> the slime, yeah. Which you know, the thing about the thing about the Palladium show is there is a feeling of adventure, adventurous nature, mm-hmm. and hometown like hometown off the cuff kind of improvisational things happening uh which made it more of an event like a hometown event than just a regular concert Mm -hmm. playing in los angeles you know when we play here when we play here it's just like uh, it's playing for your neighbors or something and there's always plenty of people (laughs) wait a minute folks and uh, you know, with guest stars and and stuff like that, and man, like the the everything that happens in Don't You Ever Watch That Thing and where that thing goes, mm-hmm. is completely like uh, I don't know if that happened on any other concerts. I just don't. That is a really yeah. really fun performance. I'm really glad that that's available. That Hollywood yeah, Palladium I mean, show a, is really something. It, it really because there's a sort of looseness. It just Frank himself is looser yeah. because it's L.A. and it's like like he says something about it's like playing to your neighbors or something like that. It, and it's that kind of friendly conversational thing with the audience that you hear of. Like classic example is the Roxy shows and just something about when they play in L.A. We were talking, I think, on the live stream about. Um, the shows in '84, where you know they played, I think at the Palace. Yeah, and there and all was the guest um, spots. Yeah, all these people came up, and you know they were all. He al- he also played Universal Amphitheater in '84 as well. Yes, at the end of the tour, the last yeah. show of the tour. Yeah, and that was another show that was like friendly and like had that vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, this is a a great show. I mean, Sal Marquez. It's good to see him getting his due. And it, you know, again, you know, we talked about alternate titles for um, I'm the Slime, but it it really amazes me that at one point it was called the Curse of the Zomboids because it's so obviously. I know. It's weird, isn't it? Nothing to do with anything, but um, obviously Ricky on the Palladium Jams, like incredible. um, Wish we had more of it, but that's where the reel ran out. So that's literally the last thing on the, huh? What's so great about that whole long jam is that you have all the solos and then Frank goes over to the percussion and he yes. does the call and response with with a percussion. And then when he goes back to the guitar, George and Ruth start <laughs> doing these things yeah. together where she's calling and responsing with him. And, yeah. Oh, and then, of course, Ricky Lancelotti. Yes. <laughs> Freaking great. Um, now. For disc four, the last disc of the set, um, somebody had asked me, one of our listeners had asked if if you had consciously chosen a show that was not available in the bootleg to underground Frank Zappa community. Mm. And I don't know if that was a factor, but uh, but that show has not been out there before. Right. Neither is the Palladium, obviously. Yeah, that's always a factor when I'm choosing shows. Also, the fact that this show was could fit on one disc yeah on its own 
and oh, so that's what's on the tape. So that yeah, exactly. Everything everything oh. is there on yeah. one CD, and also the sound quality of the tape is a, is a factor in this particular show. Uh, sounded good. There was a very extensive amount of uh, restoration involved. Uh, to make that show as listenable as it is because Stephen Desper was pushing instruments. He was mixing in real time, and every single time that he would do as he's told and and mix certain instruments, feature certain instruments in real time, he would push it so far that it would overload and it would distort. Yeah. And so whenever those distortions would happen, our trusty uh, expert mastering restoration guy, John Polito, would mm -hmm. uh, decrease the amount of distortion on that stuff. So ah. it's so listenable now, that concert. Yes. Uh, thanks to John. And um, so, yeah, there was a lot of factors involved. It's a great performance. It's it's a Cobo Hall, which is a famous place. Um, and it's a typical example of what that band was doing. I wanted to get something with Sal. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to and, – and because it was – a really perfect length and and it's and it's weird too because normally Frank's shows are longer but the reason why that particular one was shorter is because that was like a triple bill or something there were like two other bands on the bill including Mahavishnu and Frank was oh. last Frank oh. was last on the bill and their curfew uh, there was a curfew like they had to they had to you know, all everybody sucked up Frank's time, basically. Yeah. So that it's it's a little bit of an unusually short show, but it still feels good. I think it's an hour. What is it? It's like an hour ten or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's about yeah seventy yeah. minutes. Yeah. And it's complete, and the stuff that's played in it complements the box set really well. Uh, so, and it's a good precursor to you know what was coming, which yes. was the apostrophe album. So yeah, because we'd get one of the, it may be the first version that I'm aware of, of the donate the yellow snow sequence, the yellow snow suite. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, some good I shit think on uh, there. that might be the earliest one that I know of. Yeah. I love the, the March tempo, the March arrangement drum thing that's on 50, 50. Yes. It's really cool. Oh, it's yeah. freaking brilliant. And, uh, yeah. I was actually going to ask you if that was the complete show because it is, um, it sounded like it was, but I didn't know the circumstances. So it's pretty cool to think that Mahavishnu must've played for like two hours or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what's really great about the live shows is that they complement each other. They're not just two shows with the same set list that, that with the same vibe. The Hollywood Palladium show is kind of like its own thing. Oh, very much so. And then the, the and then the Cobo Hall show is is very reflective of what was happening nightly yep. on the road. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good night. Okay, now my question for you guys. Sure. This is a five-disc box, and the fifth disc is the Blu-ray with the high-definition, high-resolution mm -hmm. copy of the album, and not one, not two, but three different surround mixes. Yes. We got... Frank's original quad. We got a 5.1 and we've got the Dolby Atmos. Yes. Immersive mix. Have either of you been able to listen to the quads 
Yes, I have. And and uh, one thing that I think of when you when you listen to uh, the various surround mixes is how really successful for for the technology and the time Frank's original quad mix is. Like it's you know it's just pretty stunning for that time because you think it like you take an album like Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, uh, released in quad. It's not really that exciting a mix you know what i mean it's like they didn't they didn't use it, it's not mixed very imaginatively i guess and um but overnight sensation is fabulous in that original quad mix so that was the first thing i thought of what'd you think joseph well i think that eric gobel and karma auger are so great at adapting music in the dolby atmos format and mm-hmm. they really did a wonderful job uh, working off of Frank's work ethic and vision, being able to identify with the choices that he makes by listening to his original quad mix and then expanding upon that concept. And uh, it's pretty wonderful. And as great as the Overnight Sensation quad mix is, the original quad mix, I think that the Apostrophe quad mix even went a step further because he really kind of did actually incorporate a little bit more, let's not use the word gimmicky because that can have a negative connotation to it. But I think that he took advantage of the sound space of the four channels a little bit more in apostrophe than he did in in Overnight Sensation. Are you Mm -hmm. teasing us, Joe? (laughs) Well, I'm just saying that of the two albums that were released in quad in Frank's lifetime, I would say that uh, Overnight Sensation is absolutely wonderful. And and I think that it was going in a really great direction once Apostrophe happened. But then it all came to a crashing halt because the industry just didn't support it. But, uh, But yes, the quad mix finally being in print is the crown jewel of the box set in my opinion yep and uh because it's the first time that we're able to hear it with today's technology since the lp was released 50 years ago yeah so that's that's great and the dolby atmos mix is is wonderful it's very satisfying the 5.1 is a product of the dolby atmos mix so the Mm 5.1 is kind of like what you might want to call a 5.1 fold down Yep. You know, they were thought of in real time as they were okay. being made. So if you have a 5-1 system, you're still going to be able to enjoy the uh, the decisions made yes. by, Car- by Karma and Eric. And so that's my thoughts. I hope I'm not rambling too much on it, but, no, you know, it's like it's it's really fantastic that all. And I'm so glad that the 192K and the 96K version of uh, Bob Ludwig's The best one of the best mastering engineers in the business yes has now retired sadly yes he got his hands on this in 2012 and and i just love how it sounds and uh to be able to hear that stuff in high res on the blu-ray if you're not a streamer if you're not a cobuzz or whatever any 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 stream high res streaming service out there like apple music that offers that stuff here you get this is a reason to keep physical media alive is that you can, wow, you can yes. listen to all these things in high res. It's really yes. great. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I loved having it because I'd had a copy of, I mean, besides the vinyl, but I don't have a, you know, a quad 
her, you know, vinyl setup. Um, so I had a DTS version of it that somebody ripped off a vinyl copy, I think. And same with apostrophe, but I don't have a DTS decoder, so I haven't been able to really hear that. And so to be able to experience it this way was really, really freaking cool. Yes. So, this know. is the first time that that mix has been available in a high fidelity format. Because mm-hmm. even the old CD4 records had a high-end limit of 15 kilohertz. Yes. Ah. It couldn't go all the way up. And the way that Frank mixed this album, back then when people were coming out with quadraphonic records and it was all hip and happening, what people would do to mix an album in quad is they'd take an album and they'd say, well, this is great in stereo. We're going to make it fantastic in quad. And they tried to reimagine the album and do things that you would have never have heard mm-hmm. properly on yeah. the stereo record. What Frank did is he took the album and he kept the sound the same way that the stereo was, but he expanded on it. You can hear detail. You can hear more instruments and what they do. Yeah. And then with the Dolby Atmos mix and the 5.1, they've really done a good job of translating that and not playing around with it it's making this album sound as beautiful as it can be mm-hmm. each one has its own tonal quality and they're all good all three of them so yeah. yeah karma and eric feel that it's possible that frank mixed the album first in quad and then did the stereo after i would believe it that's interesting yeah they kind of yeah i mean it, yeah, I, I we don't it. we don't know if i mean we just don't know we don't have any evidence to to prove that but because we were so forensic in this thing that uh, they 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 feel like and because, you know, certain parts of it were recorded directly in quad on the master mm-hmm. that, you know, quadraphonic was probably being prioritized throughout the entire production of the album. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, they could be right. We don't know. But uh, it is disheartening when surround sound music doesn't get supported anymore in the industry. Yes. Uh, we're in a we're in a time frame right now where Dolby Atmos is is being supported. And so I'm happy that uh the format is there for many reasons. One just because mm-hmm. it's yet uh, yet another attempt for the industry to support immersive audio. Uh and then also because Frank was toying with 6 channel you know in his later years. Yeah. Specific, specifically 1991, I think. And, um, you know, in 92 with Spence, Chris Liu. Mm-hmm. And he was remixing stuff in Six Channel. He was he was doing all sorts of stuff. And um, there was never a modern surround sound format that could accommodate those remixes that he did in Six Channel because of the placement of the speakers. Yeah. But now with Dolby Atmos we actually can hear exactly what he was intending because of those side channels. So I hope that Frank's <laughs> six channel mixes will somehow uh, see the light of day in the consumer market before Dolby Atmos is a dud. <laughs> what do you think of that? Brilliant. <laughs> so all in all, a really beautiful celebration of that particular band specifically with sal and this album which has gone on to be one of the most popular 
and the typical gateways to people that <laughs> discover our hero, Mr. Frank Zappa. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> you can't hear me clap out there, but I am. <laughs> Bill will have lots of cool audience uh, samples to put there. Yes. <laughs> ah, so um, so we we covered it. Did did we uh, did we want to uh, wrap up any other way? I think that's a very good way to wrap up. Well, in that case, maybe we should wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, we got to wrap it up. That sounds good. Thank you, gentlemen. It is uh, a, it is an honor, and it was a privilege working with you this evening. Isn't that what the band leader said on the Titanic? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> ZappaCast, the official Frank Zappa podcast, was created and hosted by Scott Parker. This episode was produced by me, Bill Camarata. Theme music by Rick Musalin and Joe Travers. Special thanks to the Vaultmeister, Joe Travers, for his guidance and support. For the latest Zappa news and more, visit Zappa.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, also known as X, but not Abdullah X, and on TikTok as at Zappa. Don't forget to subscribe to the ZappaCast on your favorite podcast platforms, tell a friend, and hit us up on the social to keep the conversation going. Until then, and until next time, keep on cranking that Frank, and as always, remember, music is the best. <laughs> <laughs>